Well, well, well. We are back for another episode of Getting Off Track with N. Teddy. I hope you're having a fabulous day, and I hope that you loved last week's conversation with the Jill Pesavento, who, if you didn't know, although I made it very obvious because I was, like, freaking out that she let me break our confidentiality, um, she is my therapist, so I hope that you are, um, loving her as much as I do, and I know you're probably dying to hear what else comes out of her mouth, um, because everything that she says is just, like, so brilliant, and I also want to know what you guys are thinking about it so far, because, yeah, I like to know how, like, the quality and the audio and, like, the podcast stuff sounds and what you think of it, but ultimately I do want to know like what um thoughts and questions might be like swirling in your head after hearing this conversation about deep topics and like therapy and just being open and honest about feelings and like being the best version of yourself so yeah let us know reach out to me text me or I'll be reaching out to you um This is part two of me and Jill's conversation, so I'll play a little bit of where we ended off, and then we'll get into the new episode. I think I have a good way to answer your question, though, because I did answer it by saying it takes practice, but I'm going to give you a real-life example. So I love my birthday. My birthday's in August. And when my birthday comes around, I just love it. I love my friends. They bring me all the things. Like, bring me the flowers, bring me the cake, bring me the cards, bring me the presents. (laughs) I want it all. And so my partner, we've been together 10 years, and he was was raised um, in a family where they didn't really do birthdays. They did the milestone birthdays. Mm. Like 16 when you get your driver's license, 21 when you can drink, and 30 and 40 and 50. They they do the big ones. But every year, no, they don't. You might get lucky if you get a card and they take you out to lunch. But in my family, it was it was a big, a, deal. A big day. And so I just love my birthday. Now, I'm not one of those people that loves like a birthday month. I don't do that. <laughs> but my partner was saying, you know, you're a birthday diva. Like you're out of control like, <laughs> on your birthday. So kind of get like getting back to what you were saying earlier about being self-conscious, right? Like there's definitely a little girl in me that wants to have her freaking birthday. I am the diva. Bring all the things. Yeah, you're like, Cake, I want all the presents, candles. candles, singing, yeah. all of it. And he was just kind of watching this whole like birthday thing go on and going, what is happening? And then I was sort of judging myself. Like, oh. is it not okay to be a birthday diva? Yeah. And I was getting self-conscious about it where I'd never been that way before because other people I'd been with didn't mind Mm -hmm. but in his kind of family culture this is like over the top birthday stuff like what's happening and so I just kind of like negotiated that within myself like okay he comes from non-birthday culture that's okay I don't and that's okay right and I explained it to him I'm like look you don't Oh, so you had the, you talked to him about it. A hundred percent. Okay. That was not the inner child that had that conversation with him. It was my adult self. You're like, therapist Jill is coming out. Hell yes. And I'm like, you don't do birthdays and that's fine. You know, and and, and if you don't want to do birthday diva for me, okay. Mm -hmm. You got to do something though. You have to be a boyfriend at least. You're like, just for one day of the year, come on. Oh, it's my day. And, and I also like to go, it's my birthday, like multiple times a day. And he just rolls his eyes like, oh my God, with the birthday stuff. So that's how I sort of navigate inner child, Mm. inner adult, even on that given day. 
when the person that I live with isn't necessarily on board with what's happening. Yeah. You're like, I yeah. don't care what you think. Yeah. The six-year-old me does not care. Yeah. Just wants the presents, the cake, But then the, the 13-year-old, sixth grader, you. A little self-conscious like... about all the stuff. Yeah. Going on. Yeah, Aww. for sure. See, even therapists have their shit going on. We're humans. All I have to say to your boyfriend is, give the birthday diva <laughs> all she wants for the yes. birthday. I used to not be a very big birthday person either, but on this 25th birthday, like now moving forward, I fucking love my birthday. Mm-hmm. It's a day that I'm going to spoil myself. You did too. Tell yeah. everybody what you did. Oh, yeah. It's so great. I went to therapy. I went to yoga. I got a massage. Mm-hmm. I went to the beach mm-hmm. and I just hung out by myself all day. Kinda. Yes, queen. Yeah. Uh-huh. Self-care day. <laughs> and then at night I had a little party. So that's... that's- that's a great day for yeah. a birthday. Oh, it was That's just, the way to treat yourself. That was one of the days where I really was like, why do I have this feeling of waiting for other people to do things for me? And I think that's what 25 has really been. I want to start doing things for myself and really being an adult. I am an adult, but I'm also the kid and I can do whatever I want, but mm-hmm. like still be reasonable about it. To me, that's a very healthy self. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm trying. It's hard. It's hard. That's kind of why I did want to bring it up with bringing the inner child because I work with so many serious people who aren't in this newer way of thinking Mm -hmm. with bringing out the inner child. And so where am I going with this? I lost my train of thought. We were talking about if more professional people were professional humans, workplaces wouldn't be as toxic. And I think that's just, that's exactly what I'm trying to say is like, I think if other people were to be more forgiving, more inner child-like and lighthearted in a way, I think that there is a way to be professional and still human or childlike. Like, Mm -hmm. that's my goal. I feel like I embody that in my professional self. I can be really goofy at work and... I feel like I bring myself to the table and I'm still a professional. You know, I I did find that when I worked in one of the nonprofits I worked for, it was a huge lesson in one bad apple can spoil the bunch. I worked there for seven years. It was an organization that dealt with ending violence against women. And so we had this person come work for us. I mean, she was so toxic Mm -hmm. that she almost single-handedly took the nonprofit down. It was weird having been there for a while and seeing the organization run without that person and then with them in it, it was like, what is happening? As a therapist and seeing that kind of behavior, what was it that you were seeing? Pathology, narcissism, sociopath. They were disciplined a few times, but they refused to change their ways, hence Mm. the narcissism part. They are often heads of corporations or heads of something. Interesting. Yeah. I told you is it was that, top down. So is that like a good role for them to be in? No, because they're they're not healed. What is a good position for a narcissist to be in? Actors can often be that way. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a good role for them because they have to be the star. That's the job. Sometimes I wonder if I'm a narcissist because I'm like, oh, I like to be the center of attention. No. That's <laughs> something different. <laughs> you might be one with the birthday diva thing. On birthday day. What's your advice on Reduce how to speak up? up? I want to be able to give everyone who's struggling with interactions that they feel they don't have any power. I want to give people the permission to assert themselves mm-hmm. in conversations and give them the power to talk to somebody who's making them feel powerless or feel shitty or feel like you don't have an option or a choice in the situation. We have to take that on a case-by-case basis because sometimes if you do 
speak up, it could mean you could cost you your job. I wouldn't want that for someone if they needed the job and couldn't afford to lose the job. And even then, that's a scenario that I think everyone is afraid of, speaking up because they don't want to lose their yeah. job. But like, it's not right to be in this feeling. I that, would say you that. Know? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I agree. It's always helpful, I think, to use I statements. Like, I'm offended by that email or mm -hmm. I'm offended in the way you spoke to me and I don't want you to speak that way to me again. Mm -hmm. That's I and you statements, but you're starting with I statements. And do you have to give them a reason? Sometimes I think you do. Maybe sometimes you don't. But then if this is a chronic problem for someone at work, like they feel they can't speak up and that things are really going wrong, I would ask that person to consider how that job is affecting their life in total. If you look at the life pie, like your physical health, your spiritual health, your relationships, your hobbies, mm -hmm. all these things that encompass your life, like this job, is it bleeding out into other areas of your life and causing damage? If that's the case, if you really can take some time to sit down and evaluate that, and maybe you do it with someone so that you can be more objective or they can be objective for you, it might just be a real kind of eye-opener to like, I just don't think this is a job I can stay in. Yeah, like it's not worth you it. You know, it's yeah. not worth it. But then, but maybe maybe it's not as clear. Maybe it's like, maybe I need to take things less personally. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I need to um, address this with a higher up or higher up or HR or whatever if there's a chronic systemic issue. But what if it's like a one-time thing? Like, like someone said something offensive to you in passing, like lower. walking down the street. Like what if someone made oh. a comment to you like in passing? Most of the time I ignore it because <laughs> it's not worth beefing about, you know? Mm. It's just not worth my life energy. And nowadays we have so many people walking around that are mentally ill. Um, that aren't in their right frame of mind. So saying something to someone could be dangerous. It could be triggering to the other person and I don't want to have any kind of fights. When somebody says something to me and I find it offensive, just passing on the street, how much of that is their projection? Because we're all looking at life through our own lens. Mm -hmm. I'm walking down the street and someone says, dirty whore. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that that's I the go, first thing that comes to your mind. Happens to you all the time, huh? Oh yeah, because that's just me, that's horrible. I, I can take offense to that pretty easily, but on the other hand, they don't know me. I don't know them. Where's that even coming from? Some weird projection in their mind or some neurons misfiring in their yeah. head. I'm gonna just try to keep going. Yeah. And Because I don't believe it about myself. But what if I did? Right. Then, then I have to kind of have the self-awareness to look at that and go, why did that affect me? I don't know that person. That is another great question about the self-reflection aspect of it. How much of what people say about you is true? How much of that do you need to reflect on and be like, is it me? Am I the problem? Mm -hmm. um, common denominator stuff like that, I think is something people come to therapy about mm. a lot. And I think it's helpful because if you um, find yourself continually being broken up with, yeah. You find a person, you think they're great, you start investing in them, and then they break up with you. And then that just keeps happening in succession. We have to kind of pause and look at the common denominator. Like, people break up with you. Why is that? And you have to be courageous enough to look at, like, what is it about me that people aren't sticking with? I think sometimes, too, we want to ignore the problem because we're like, well, if I look into the problem, then it is a problem. <laughs> 
I think that's true about our health too. Like something like a nagging headache. Like if we have that every day, we'd have to look into the problem, right? Yeah. But then we don't want to because it's like, well, what what could happen? Brain tumor. Yeah. Like I could be dying tomorrow, but then wouldn't you want to know that you're dying tomorrow? It's like a weird fear. Yeah. Huh. I would love to know the psychology behind that and like why we choose to ignore Mm -hmm. certain things. Like is there, what's the scientific reasoning behind Hmm. that? Because, again, that's kind of why a lot of people don't go to therapy. Like, I know that's I why I didn't right. go to therapy. So it's right. like mm-hmm. I was afraid to address it and be like, I don't know. I was just really afraid of it. and yeah. really, many af- people are. It's yeah, I, I couldn't tell you now what the fear was. I think it was just a general fear of, like, talking to someone and being vulnerable. Maybe that's what it was. Like, yeah. that's how I would name it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the science is behind not wanting to look at what's right in front of you. Um, Cause of what I know about the brain is the negativity bias that we are supposed to look for things that are wrong yeah. in our environment in order to stay safe. If we're ignoring that, I'm not sure what that is. Yeah. My, maybe my scope of knowledge. <laughs> you know, I just thought about prof- being professionally human and we've been talking about the school system and how I want to go back to kindergarten when I retire <laughs> since society is not doing a great job of that at this point. <laughs> Part of school curriculum should be making a professional human, like not just teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic and history that we teach people in school, but we should be turning out human beings. Like, what do you want from your life? Oh my God. Do you think if we address that early in our lives without being like, you have to be a vet, a president, or a doctor, like the options. Yeah. You or think, a lawyer. But yeah, do you think if we could... Or, yeah, or a lawyer or like anything or, that makes a ton of money. You have to be and, something white collar and, yeah. you know, above it all. Yeah. But like, what do you... But yeah, we have ask young people to think about that, but we don't ask them to think about their lives. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want for your life? Like, what do you feel called to do? Yeah. What do you feel... Do you want kids in a family? Do you want adventure and travel? Do you want both? What do you value? What's important to you? Like, we don't turn out professional humans. Then you're stuck with it at either 35 or 25, like yep. me. And it's just like, yep. it's such a daunting question. I can't even imagine how the processing went for you at that age. Because now that you're older, mm-hmm. it's like you can look back and reflect on it. But when you're in it, it's so... It makes your body feel crunched up and so rigid. And this... life is feels so tough. It does. So do you think like doing it at an earlier age and being more transparent is helpful? I would want that for everyone. Well, we should do it. We should just take a tiny slice of the military budget and <laughs> fly it to the schools where we could turn out professional humans. There are so many things about society and politics that just like doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to me. Yes. It's a tragedy. It, our priorities are wrong. Our priorities are so wrong. You know what I recently thought about? We just had the Powerball lottery that was like $2 billion. And I thought about, look at the amount of money that was raised in a very short amount of time. Like people contributing very little, right? Like you bought 20 bucks worth of tickets. Or maybe in our case, we bought, no, my partner did though. But look at, look at what was possible there. In that these, we have all these schools that are hurting. We have all these housing problems. And we could raise two point some billion dollars in a matter of weeks by people contributing a tiny amount. Because we're so selfish and want the big pot Uh ourselves. Right. There's a lot of 
potential there to me that if we could motivate people to donate a little bit just a couple bucks but it has to be a selfish reason because obviously the reason why they yeah. wanted to so, do it exactly is because they got their own they had the potential to win big yeah. right that they were purchasing that yeah. potential but you are purchasing potential by investing in kids who are oh my god yeah. but we're not raising global citizens which we need to be because we don't live in America anymore. We live in the world because the world affects us. I mean, look at COVID. It came from China lightning fast well, through Europe and then into the United States. Um, so we can't pretend that, you know, we're isolated anymore. We are global citizens and we need to be raising global citizens. Like, why should you care hmm. if... China's putting out all this smog or the Ukrainian people are being hurt Demolished. like this. Like, yeah. it, like it's all connected. It's all one thing. We should do a podcast on quantum theory. I can try to <laughs> absorb all of that. We are so in our own worlds, but want to be interconnected with everybody and the world and travel and go see mm-hmm. and all of these things. But when we view that, we're not viewing like the entire world picture because we're so consumed by our own self and what we need and want in our life yeah Hmm. again it's a balance i think need to think about me but i also need to think about the world and 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 everything in between maybe we should make a curriculum for the things that you need to learn about the world and you should have a life series in school where it's like okay in kindergarten, you're going to think about yourself and mm-hmm. then K through fifth grade, like learn mm-hmm. about that. And maybe they try to do that with like social studies and things like that, but they focus too much on the wrong thing. They sure do. You should do what resonates. Yeah. Not this, what feels forced. This is so natural yeah. for me and I'm so curious about mm-hmm. all of these different topics and people's like perspectives and experiences. I have found that too with taking on new clients. Like that's why I always usually do a consultation because... If it feels that way, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm pulling teeth or it's hard, it's probably not a great fit. But if it feels natural, like there's a back and forth, there's some laughing, I feel like I can be myself. A lot of the mentality around work prior to like this new generation, if you want to call it that, has been like, you have to do the hard things in order to get to the point that you want and like it's going to be a struggle it's going to be hard you have to pay your dues and it's like yeah do you though like no why can't it be easy like shouldn't it be easy why do we want people to struggle and for it to be difficult i agree why does that's a narrative isn't it you got to work your way up and pay your dues and climb the ladder and i mean think of all those those are expressions and they all have to do with struggle but yeah you're right why does it have to be that way I mean, inherently, life on this planet is, that's kind of what they were saying in, this, in that book, Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century. Um, I was going to say Guide to the Universe. <laughs> um, like, life on this planet has always been about survival. For plants, for animals, all of it, right? More like in modern life, it's not a struggle to survive. We have so many things in place that keep us safe, comfortable, and things like that. So I don't agree with that narrative anymore that you have to suffer and struggle to get to the top or get to where you want to be. Why can't it be enjoyable? It should exactly. Be. So it should be enjoyable. We say we have to struggle to be successful, but then when you get to that point, I feel like you're not really happy. And then it goes into the the whole thing about having different aspects of balancing your life to be happy because 
yeah, you've worked so hard and struggled so much that it wasn't, was it really worth it? Right. There was a documentary that came out um, maybe about 10 or 15 years ago called Race to Nowhere. Mm. And it was about this, she was a Bay Area mom um, who had three kids and they were all at different grade levels. I think one a middle schooler, a grade schooler, and maybe a younger one like in kindergarten. But they were all having anxiety disorders mm. in school and outside of school. What she tried to uncover is kind of like this whole rat race thing of how we're raising kids in school. Like you got to do well on the test and you got to get the grades and you got to get into the colleges. And for what? She chronicled these kids that were going to school with her kids that were up till midnight doing homework in like seventh grade. And then they had to get up in the morning. If they were an athlete, they had to go to practice. And then there wasn't time for meals and there wasn't time for socializing or just relaxing. What a concept. It's so hard for everyone to relax. I think that's one of the major problems too with today. But like the race to nowhere was sort of like, yeah, you get your kid into the college, your kid does good in the college, and then your kid graduates from the college, who is now an adult, and gets the job, and now they're in the rat race. And To what end? To what end? There is no end. Right. Until you figure out, wait, there is no end. Like, this is the end. Yes. Maybe that's the rat race. It is. Well, that's how it starts. And so the kids, there's more and more pressure, you know, to get into these colleges. And you have to have like a 4.5 to get into like the best one or whatever, whatever that means. Gone are the days and like you went to college to kind of like expand your mind and <laughs> find yourself yeah. or whatever. I've been around people lately who have been experiencing a lot of grief in their life and a lot of difficult things with their family and just like genuine hardship and yet they show up for work and pretend like nothing's happening they're just living with this huge burden i know you've gone through an experience in your mm -hmm. life where you've had to live through a giant grief and yeah. continue moving forward when you're in that space what do you do i'm sure there's a whole you that's why you go to therapy to like figure mm -hmm. it out for yourself and for your own situation but like how do you continue to live life while still working through this whole process of grieving and losing something. It's so sad. I mean, it's a really big question that you're asking. And I think it's going to be one of the hardest things in life is how do we put one foot in front of the other when things seem to be falling apart or when you have a heartache or a yeah. heartbreak, you know, and something that isn't in your control necessarily. Like if you've lost a loved one or like you have an addict in your life that's self-destructing or, you know, maybe you're facing a, a critical illness or mm -hmm. life-threatening something. It can be one of the hardest things. I mean, I think that's when people typically like take to bed, you know, and covers pulled over and like, I'm not doing this. Your question was really like the how, how do you do that? And I think there's the old saying in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, like one day at a time. Like I only have to not drink today. And so that's kind of how they help people in early sobriety. Like one day at a time, chip, or whoever's <laughs> showing up to the meeting. Your perspective has to change when that's going on. Like if you expect yourself to feel a certain way and to be like everyone else right now, it's not going to be that way. So your perspective has to really shift. That's why I think support groups can be so helpful. Like if there's a grief support group someone can attend or... Maybe it's like adult child of alcoholics or, you know, knowing that people are kind of in your boat too. The whole aspect of support to yeah. our point of how yeah. powerful support is. It is. It's critical, honestly. Because if someone goes through something like that alone, 
um, it's going to be that much more painful and it's going to take that much longer, I think, for them to bounce back or get back to where they were before the event happened. Mm. Do you think that it is important for that person to have alone time, though? Sometimes, yeah. I don't think someone should do it alone, a hard thing like that. Oh, I love that. Like, yeah. there's a difference. And that can be where therapy can be really helpful, too. Um, because, again, how we talked more about the therapy being a one-way relationship where I'm there for that person, but that person doesn't have to be there for me. I've known this especially to be true with grief. If someone lost a loved one, and then when that whole kind of process sort of runs through, like, you know, they died, and then you did the funeral, and you did all the things that you need to do to take care of the business of death, like their bank accounts, and Mm. once all that is done... Whoa, business of death. It's a thing. It's a legitimate thing. Um, which is a whole nother podcast too. Yeah. (laughs) So oftentimes when all that is kind of said and done, the person feels more alone than ever because everyone else has kind of moved on with life and they're still hurt. Yeah. And there's nothing more to do. You've done everything you needed to physically do to deal with this. And now all you have to do is what you have to deal with emotionally. And then your, your, your friends and family, like your close people can kind of get tired of your grief in a way. They don't want you to be sad anymore. They want you to come back from, from this now already. And with therapy, you can show up and still be there, still be stuck, still be hurting problem. And you're, you're paying for someone to kind of help you through that to listen to to be where you are when other people kind of don't want you to still be there Mm. that makes sense yeah the way that you were describing it like the idea of paying for somebody to be there for you i think it's like a turn off to people but realistically like i can say confidently like i would pay thousands of dollars to do this to get the right help yeah because no one else is going to do it for you in your life so you might as well pay someone to really help you through it Right, professional yeah. help. Well, I also want to touch on what you said before, which was um, how do I show up for someone that's in a really bad place, that's really hurting? And again, I think this is where our society, our culture kind of fails us too, in that we are such a fix-it culture. Something's wrong, we need to fix it. You're feeling bad, how do we get you to feel good? So I think it's enough to just show up for that person. Mm-hmm. Show up, like call, show up, and say, um, I'm here for you. I know, I know you're going through something that I probably can't understand. And I just want you to know that you're not alone. And I'm here to listen. I'm here to help. Or I'm here to do whatever you need I'm yeah. here for. Even if you need me to just kind of like not be so in touch. Yeah. And just give you space. Like how rare is that that we hear that from someone? It's uncomfortable. It is. For I think both. Yeah. I think to like have somebody just in your space to be there, it's a foreign concept. We don't teach people how to do this either. How to support someone who's hurting. How to just show up. You know? Sometimes we t- get taught that in our families. Or maybe if we're, you know, in a church or whatever. I don't know. But many of us don't get that. It is crazy to think about what we are taught like truly taught to do yeah you can do it because it feels intuitive but how much of us are really shown and told like this is the way which again is why i love this podcast because i want us all to learn from each other how to do certain things that has not necessarily been spoken about like openly too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just like the whole Man, I'm now I'm getting angry again about the things that were not taught in school. So many things. Because it does happen in life. 
grief it, and death and it, no one's going to escape shit. that. Yeah. yeah. No one. You will lose someone you love at some point in time. And that's pretty universal. Another dark thing. Mm-hmm. Go to therapy. Yep. So you can therapy. learn all the dark things. You know what makes me think too about paying someone to listen to you? In indigenous cultures where we lived more tribally, there was like a shaman or like a person in the tribe that you went to for such problems. Oh. Like, oh, my child died. I can't get over it. You'd go to the shaman and you'd talk. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And the shaman would fix you. Various things. Yeah. Or they would tell you, go do this. And you would go do that. And then you'd report back to them. Kind of like the therapist yeah, of the town. You know, like the, the spiritual kind of leader or the person who, who held the things for the tribe. And I think therapy kind of plays that role in modern life in a mm-hmm. way. The book that I'm reading, You Are a Badass at mm-hmm. Making Money. Yeah. It talks about like, we should want to pay these people who are trying to help us. Because ultimately that helps the person who you're paying fund their life and live their life the way that yes. they can most authentically and abundantly as possible. This person is helping me and I want to help them back. And I think as much as we try to deny that we don't need each other, we do. We do. We are interdependent mammals. We are denying ourselves that we need other people, but realistically we do and we're always craving for that connection. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. What advice do you have for somebody who's feeling down and dumpy or going through a certain experience in their life and therapy would be good for them, but they're not necessarily ready or willing to go and still hanging on to fear? What would you say to encourage them to go to therapy or find a different path? I would probably ask that person who's resistant to liken their problem to a physical one because Mm -hmm. it's all one thing. If I have a chronic headache... yeah. I'm going to have to figure out how to approach that um, to improve that or get that better if that's what I want to have happen. So if I'm feeling down and dumpy, as you say, (laughs) uh, I would ask that person to consider all of their options. Because like in medicine, they actually say first do nothing. Mm. The body heals itself. And so that's an option, right? You might do nothing and see if this improves on its own. Because mm. many things do. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. I do. They do. Yeah. Not <laughs> with my that. mind, though. <laughs> that chronic mind. Yeah. <laughs> that thinking mind. Darn, that cut will heal on its own, but that <laughs> mind just... Um, it keeps getting worse. But I actually think that it's very empowering to consider doing nothing. Yeah. Um, and then including nothing, are there other ways I can approach this? Can I approach this within myself? Do I need to approach this without myself, like outside of myself? What ways are there available to me to do that? So looking at it kind of objectively, not like with the stigma of, I don't want to go to therapy, it's scary. Well, there's several options you probably have. Which one do you want to choose? And if you've already chosen a few of them and they haven't worked, maybe therapy is something you want to try. Therapy is a thing out of all the things you can try. Mm. And if you don't want to try it, that's okay. But if you try other things and they don't work, why not try it? You can always decide not to. It's not like you sign up and you can't unsign up. (laughs) That's what was happening to me Mm -hmm. with checking out my options. I've kept going to my friends and talking about my problems, trying to like feel 
like they were resolved and maybe just talking about it might help. But none of that was helping. I couldn't just continue going to my friends and expressing my feelings because I wasn't doing anything to repair it. With therapy, it's like you go in, you tell them the problem, and it's not like you just tell them the problem and that's it. Like again, you provide options and say like, here are some things that could work. And then you come back, you've either tried those options and they worked or they didn't. And then you go back to the drawing mm -hmm. table of like, huh. Mm -hmm. And it's professional help that like, you know the brain and you know what mm -hmm. is working on in there and you have mm -hmm. a different perspective. Yeah. Like a friend might not always offer, here's another way to think about that. Yeah. Not just like, here's a way to fix your problem, but you have a problem. How have you been normally thinking about that problem? And is there a different way to think about the problem? Because that's where I think friends can fall short. They're not professional. Yeah. They have a limited set of skills in that direction, especially with the down and dumpy thing. Like that can be clinical depression. It can be circumstances that are causing depression. That's up to a professional to kind of suss out, right? Yeah. Like what's really going on with this down and dumpy person? That's so wise. <laughs> so wise. Okay, and then say the person's ready to go. How can they get the best experience, the best bang for their buck as far as like getting in there, being prepared? What kind of advice would you give to somebody who's gonna go in and has been hesitant, was hesitant for the longest time? And how can they feel like they've gotten something worthwhile out of therapy? I know it's a long journey. I do try to give something, and even though therapy is a long process, as you say, um, I do try to help someone walk away from the session thinking that they did get something out of it. I mean, I believe in that. I think that's important. I would say come in prepared with some goals. Um, like I feel down and dumpy to keep belaboring your example. <laughs> in a tutu. Um, in a tutu. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just pull them all together. Um, with your inner child in tow. Yeah. Right. Um, what's my goal to feel mm. less down and dumpy? To figure that's out enough. why I'm down and dumpy. Yeah. Those are two different goals, by the way. Mm. Why am I feeling this way? And how can I not feel this way? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I would say come in with some goals. Or ideas for goals. You know, maybe you don't have to all have them all written out. But like, I want help with this. Mm -hmm. I would like this to be better. I would also say be prepared to trust. Like if you can't I trust that's the person hard... you're talking to, not much is going to get done. I think that what they taught us in graduate school about being a therapist is the therapeutic relationship is everything. And when they studied outcomes for therapy, um, the therapeutic relationship was by far the strongest indicator of improvement. You have to feel comfortable with your therapist. You have to feel safe with your therapist. Both of those things would entail you feeling vulnerable enough to trust your therapist with your most intimate thoughts and feelings and concerns. That was one thing that I was ready and prepared to do when I started therapy, because mine was free for eight sessions through work. And I was like, I only have eight sessions to get better. We got to start this. We got to go in hot and heavy. And I have to get my bang for my buck and like really do it. <laughs> and I don't care if this person thinks I'm crazy, but I'm just going to explain everything. If you're going to pay for it, you might as well be open and talk mm -hmm. about the shit that you need help yeah. with. And maybe be prepared to drop your old way of thinking and try something new. Be open-minded. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We get so attached to our ways of thinking and being and behaving. We do, which is funny. We are creatures of habit, but then 
that gets us stuck in the ways that we don't necessarily love. Yeah, I agree. So open-minded for change. Okay, my last question. Okay. What's one thing that you're really focused on changing or wanting to change or learn about? What is it that you're focused on developing or kind Mm -hmm. of like what is like at the forefront of your life right now? Oh, that's a... I'm I'm delighted to answer that question. (laughs) I have been really delving into ancestral karma and reincarnation. Oh. Mm -hmm. And that includes some dream work that I've been doing. And um, it also involves doing some shadow work, looking at those darker aspects of the self that are very scary to look at sometimes. Because I find myself, especially now that I'm in my 50s, I'm like, whatever whatever it is that's been holding me back, I'm fucking ready to get rid of it. I'm fucking ready to go. I want to elevate, evolve. Whatever old karmic patterns that I've been saddled with, for lack of a better term, in this life. Specifically, I'll say that I come from very dysfunctional, abusive, toxic, Polish stock. Stock meaning like my ancestors are those people. Like very mean people, Mm. very cruel, negative people. Whoa. And I want to evolve from that. I think I feel like it's naturally in you. And that's why Um, I think it was, but I think because of starting therapy at such a young age and always being in a very growth mindset, like reading all the self-help books and being in therapy and trying so many things to heal myself, I definitely feel like I've come really far, but I'm, I'm wanting to go deeper. You're like Like next level. Like let's do the, let's, let's dig up that karmic shit, whatever that is. And I've had some really interesting dreams. I recently spoke to a psychic who talked to me about a past life repetition with my mom and that was fascinating to me but it made a lot of pieces fall into place for me about my relationship with her or lack of relationship yeah. with her and so that that kind of thing you can probably tell by how I'm lighting up like I'm fucking really excited about it. that shit like I'm really yeah. excited the, like I almost can't wait to go to sleep at night because I'm like what's gonna happen <laughs> can't wait to like transform something tonight do you call that in before you go to bed or Mm -hmm. is it you just like let it happen I've been reading about dream work and how to work with dreams and how to kind of gear the subconscious mind Hmm. Um, but then the subconscious mind has, has a mind of its own and sometimes you know you get just circus fluff in your dreams so yeah that's what's lighting me up nowadays so I've got tons of books on meeting the ancestors healing the ancestors ancestral karma shamanistic journeys reincarnation past lives dream quantum stuff like like looking at time and like what time is or isn't for instance right now I'm super tripped out by everything's happening all at once like what like everything what do you mean the whole thing all of it Like if you and I, like let's say you and I were family members in China in year 863 AD, uh-huh. like that's happening now what in addition to this conversation. Like you think that there's another version of ourselves. And then our future selves are also happening now too. It's all like when the big bang happened, it happened all at once. And I don't know if I'm ready to hear I know. To it's learn the about kind of thing yet. where your head kind of blows off. Yeah. But that's the kind of shit that gets me really excited. Like, <laughs> I'm really excited. Are you saying that there's like a different version of ourselves living in China, 860 AD. That's what I've been shown. (laughs) Interesting. Have you ever gone on like a 
Yes. Uh, what is it called? Like you take the drug and then you're like in this whole... Yes, I've done that, but not in a therapeutic way. And I've, I'm, I'm interested in that too. What is that? What is it called? Like a... Like a mushroom psilocybin journey? No. Like... Ayahuasca? Ayahuasca. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Have you done that? No. Okay. No. Because I'm scared of the diarrhea and the barf. Oh. <laughs> but you... Because <laughs> apparently that's what happens. Oh, man. You've researched it at I have least. definitely researched it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I have. And I absolutely think there's merit to that. But I would probably do something here... And it's going to be legalized pretty soon Mm. where you can go with a therapist and do a psilocybin, like a mushroom journey. My friend just went on a retreat in Mm -hmm. Costa Rica or something. Yeah, because it's not legal here in the U.S. yet, but it will be soon. Yeah, and they took mushrooms and there was a therapist on site. And I haven't met with her yet to Mm -hmm. hear about her experience. But like she just did that. Yes. So that must be a trip. Well, I have done that before and just not with a therapist. And I was shown all the things, but I was only 19. I didn't know what to do with all the things. I will say that they've scanned the brains of people who have taken psilocybin and there are um, neural pathways and parts of the brain that are accessed that aren't normally accessed through conscious waking life. When I experienced that, I will say parts of my brain opened that did not reclose. The way I saw the world, you can't unsee that once you've seen it. Hmm. So it did change in that way, for sure. Interesting. Um, for the better? Oh, yeah, for okay. sure. Okay, yeah. because sometimes they don't. Well, I had three better. journeys. One was really good, and then two were really bad. I... Set and setting are really important. Though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing and Thank coming you for over me. on Sunday. It was like, a total delight. This isn't so fun. I feel like we could go another three hours. Uh, me too, honestly. I Because now we can talk about all the things like time not existing. I and know. All that stuff. Uh, we've opened up different paths yeah. to go down. Or what portals we could go through. Maybe in like season two, we go into like the trippy. I'm down. Crazy stuff. I'm down <laughs> for sure. Yay. Yeah. Thank you, Nicole. You're Thank such a beautiful you. human. Oh my gosh, you're such a beautiful human. Seriously, I takes one to no one. Couldn't have been more and mischief. You're a beautiful feline. She's down there. I just had deja vu. Like we've done this before. I love that. Is that like where this has happened all at once? Yes. <laughs> We're not tripping. We are not. We are stone cold sober on water. But. Yeah, thank you. This I hope it was so helpful. Yeah. I really had a great time. Me thank too. you. For, and I think that I hope this it's has helpful. just been like educational and like Yay. super informative, but fun, which I think is what like life should be about. I agree. Helpful and like still have a good time. We're simpatico, my friend. Yay. Yay. Ah! Oh my God. I just love Jill. She's the best. She's so cool. Um... Jill, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and just being such a major support in my life. I hope everyone got a really good glimpse of what the relationship between a therapist and a client can look like. I definitely didn't know that that's what it would, that this is what it would play out to be. I really want this podcast to showcase all these things that I've always been either afraid of or wanting to pursue and then hopefully help someone else who might be feeling the same way get inspired to go after it. Because at the end of the day, having all of these conversations has helped me propel into this chapter of my life. And I just hope that everybody looks up to Jill like I do. 
Um, love that she was sharing about the thing that she's working on right now, which is the dreams thing. And it's cool to hear that back. I'd love to hear like an update from her. Like we should get her on the podcast part three. We'll have to see what she says to that and what feedback comes back from everyone. But I hope you guys all have a great week and I'll see you next Tuesday.